Alright! Hi. Hey. What's everyone up to? <laughs> um, anyway. I'm Liza. I'm Riz. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. To update everyone, I know last week I said that um, my mom was reading the Prince Harry book. This morning I woke up and I heard her talking to my dad. Uh oh. And all I heard was, well, he had frostbite on it. So it made it like more sensitive, he said. Like he could feel more. So he was always ready to go. And I was just like, just go back to sleep. I just have to go back to sleep. Prince Harry and his Toja. And not. People keep posting sound bites from his audiobook to TikTok, and I'm losing my marbles over it. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I don't know. Truly insane. Good for him though. He good seems like him. he had a good time. It does. And you know what? That's all that matters, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, Prince Harry. I do think he seems like a little bit crazy. Yeah, definitely. More than, yeah, he's unhinged. He says that literally, like, the paparazzi has ruined every relationship with a woman he's ever had. And, like, I guess during the book, he talks about how even Megan was going to off herself when she was pregnant because of the paparazzi. Holy shit. But I'm like... Is that true, or does he just think that that is what it is because of the trauma of his mom? Right. I don't know. Some sort of, like, PTSD from that, for sure. Right. No, no. To tell you the truth, I don't have the energy to read the book, so I won't be reading it. But happy reading. Oh, I'm not going to read it. Happy reading. Have fun, guys. Prince Harry. Hey, what's the theme of this week? Um, this week we're celebrating a very special birthday. Uh, we, today we're, yes. So today we are recording on January 20th and yesterday, so January 19th was Edgar Allan Poe's birthday. Happy birthday, King. Also fun fact, it was also Mac Miller's birthday, RIP. Rest in peace. To both. But yeah, those two being born on the same day is wild. That is kind of crazy. Huh. Um, so we're gonna celebrate Gothic horror today. Did you know that Edgar Allan Poe was American? Am I the only one that just didn't know that? I've never thought about it, but I suppose that makes sense. It, yeah, it does. And I don't know why I thought he was British, but I did. I just assumed. Because the name Edgar, that's why. Yeah, that's it. And then, I don't know. I feel like it just doesn't the stories feel like they take place in England? Yes. 
I don't know. Much to think about. Yeah, that's weird of him. What's the first thing that comes into your head when you think gothic fiction? Is it Edgar? (laughs) No. Yeah. But I don't really know... Like, I'm trying to think who, who, like, no one really pops in my head. Right, right. I guess, I guess I think of, like, Mary Shelley, and I think, isn't, doesn't Phantom of the Opera count as gothic? I would definitely count Phantom of the Opera. That's what pops in my head. Not Edgar Allan Poe, but I, I don't have a reason why he doesn't. Yeah. I asked because he was actually a characteristic, he was actually a a product of gothic fiction, not a founder of gothic fiction. Mm, delicious. That's really interesting. Um, it, it looks like gothic fiction really started in the 17, mid-1700s. Um, and Edgar Allan Poe was writing in the mid 1800s so 100 years later Edgar Allan Poe was writing I also am just looking at this now he was born in Massachusetts and died in Baltimore so I guess it kind of makes sense that we thought he was English because both that's New England I mean I don't count Maryland as being part of New England but like that Massachusetts vibe can be an English vibe but yeah so I guess gothic fiction was actually quite a bit earlier uh than your boy which is kind of fun Mary Shelley was also writing around the same time as Edgar Allan Poe which is also interesting like I feel like you don't really often think of them as existing at the same time I think that I can really see him being American when I think of that because I'm like, they just seem so separate from each other. Right. And why is that? Does he give off American? It does, does, okay, hear me out. Does Edgar Allan Poe give you Mark Twain vibes? Not in writing, in character. I, I guess. America. America, that's so real. That's so funny. Very interesting. And it's also just like to know that all of these people were writing at the same time is very interesting as well because so there's Mary Shelley, Edgar Allan Poe, the Bronte sisters, and Charles Dickens are all Victorian era writers and they were all doing some sort of gothic fiction which I think is fun um it looks like um another one we could throw into there which like you mentioned Mark Twain Mark Twain I would not categorize as gothic but someone I would is Nathaniel Hawthorne um who's also writing at around the same time but then when you look to um books like the Strange Case of Dr. Jacqueline, Mr. Hyde, and Dracula, those are actually about almost like half a century after 
all those other writers. Isn't that kind of weird? Yes, and I, I'm just curious. Um, Liza, what's the best thing that Hawthorne wrote? It's not the Scarlet Letter, in Mm-mm. my opinion. Um, I would go... Okay. What's that one called that I really like? Let me pull it up. It better be the same one as me. <laughs> the Maypole of Marymount? Oh, no, I haven't read that one. It's really fucking weird. It's like okay. a like what's it called it's like Kabbalist like what's it called Bacchanal it's like a weird like Bacchanal in a forest and there's like Puritans but then there's like weird demons and shit I will accept it what's yours Young Goodman Brown obviously okay Young Goodman Brown I would put second place so good (laughs) so good and it's also very strange like Mm -hmm. and I think I I I really want to talk about that with you too because I'm going to talk a little bit about like the history or like the characteristics rather of gothic fiction, but there's something that all of these, that these descriptions are missing that I'd love to like get your perspective on. So with that being said, like thinking of young Goodman Brown, um, diving into what are the characteristics of gothic fiction? So people characterize it obviously first and foremost, like dark, foggy aesthetic um but it's characterized by uh fear and the supernatural and the key word that i i keep seeing is so this is the way one person phrases it the intrusion of the past upon the present so themes of the present being haunted by the past with physical or metaphorical reminders of the past occurring in the present, um, which I thought was really interesting. Then there's just going to be regular like themes of um, death, family, cemeteries, crypts, religious iconography, um, hauntings, nightscapes. Um, it looks like the concept, the horror concept of doubles is very popular in gothic fiction, um, which I think is kind of interesting. And it begs the question, too, I think, um, if we would consider things like uncanny, not the uncanny valley, but the actual, like, concept of the uncanny being a characteristic of gothic fiction. And then one other thing I'll just mention before I get into talking what I wanted to, um, what young goodman brown reminded me of is there is a entire category called the female gothic which i think is really cool and that's what mary shelley and charlotte bronte were doing and even jane austen at times where they were putting women's issues at the forefront of gothic fiction um, more specifically, it's going to be like women's like sexual desires, um, which, of course, we see in like Jane Eyre and stuff like that. But I think that's really interesting because when we study horror theory, we also study like women's sexuality repression of women's sexuality and that being a horror 
in and of itself. So I find that interesting that there's a whole entire like female gothic genre um, highlighting women's fears, but also like the unleashing of repressed female women's feelings that is actually like more horror for men than it is for women. Uh, and then the one other thing I'll say before it with that is just there is a lot of different subculture sub genres of gothic. So there's suburban gothic, southern gothic. Um, we've talked about it before. I think in the last episode I mentioned tropical gothic. You see a lot on book talk um, and just TikTok in general. Appalachian gothic, midwestern gothic, western gothic. Um, so there's just like a lot of different gothic genres something to think about I think we both read sort of classic gothic for this episode um but yeah the thing I want to talk to you about that I didn't see specifically in the characteristics of gothic and it reminded me of it when to also mentioning the uncanny is why does so much gothic fiction just have the most weird out-of-pocket shit happening? Just so strange. Like, like it, why, why isn't in these descriptions of gothic fiction there a sentence about, like, some crazy-ass shit that's not ever going to be explained or expanded upon is going to be a key, like, either happening in the background of the book or is going to be like a detail like a blink and you'll miss it detail like did do you notice that ever marissa yes absolutely okay and it's so interesting because one thing i'm i mean i can touch upon it now but i read obviously the author's note in the back of my book that i read today and uh she talks about how she read the fall of the house of usher and she's like there's just so much that i didn't no, like he didn't tell us anything. He didn't explain anything. So I wanted to do that. And isn't that like, think of how many specifically like gothic horror stories you just have no questions to. And you could just answer them yourself if you feel like doing that. Right. How cool is that? I love that. That's what makes like gothic and the modern subgenres of gothic like maybe my favorite genre. Cause like I, fucking love a book that'll just be like here's this weird thing mm -hmm. now that you now you have that and I'm not gonna explain it like that's I yes. love I love that also this was trending uh, I feel like you've read it did you read Me Mexican Gothic no but I really want to okay I think you should and I think I'm going to especially after reading my book it's funny that you mentioned that too because uh Daphne du Maurier is credited as being one of the more modern um, gothic authors, even mm -hmm. though she passed in um, like the 80s, uh, 1980s. But her book, Rebecca, is what Mexican gothic is like most inspired by. Mm -hmm. Very so interesting. And then also, I'd just like to add that the other female authors that they have under um, gothic genre are Shirley Jackson, Anne Rice, and Toni Morrison. Which huh. we, funny, because we were just talking about why isn't Beloved horror? I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't, I don't think Toni Morrison is gothic, though. Is it, but is it Southern gothic? 
Okay. I, I Beloved, I could see Beloved being... You can consider Beloved Southern Gothic. Anything else I'm like, mm. Right, right. Like, you, you know, are we going to call Louis Dye Southern Gothic? No. Are we going to call Sula Southern Gothic? Maybe. Okay, fair. That book is really weird. Something to think about. That is something to think about. Shirley Jackson, definitely. That bitch was cuckoo yes. crazy. Um, she was on something. Very gothic. Oh, queen. <laughs> um, but yeah, just something to think about. And I guess I really want, like, for this episode, we were talking about it before, like, I really want the focus to be Marissa's book, but I will, especially because it was more so even inspired by Edgar Allan Poe than my book, but I'll just quickly talk about my book and um, then we'll get into Marissa's. I read O Caledonia by Elspeth Barker. This was not written during like what we consider to be gothic times. This woman was writing probably around the same time Shirley Jackson was writing, if not a little bit later. Um, she has since passed. I believe she like passed away shortly after this book was published, which it was published for the first time in the 90s, and then it went out of print. Um, and Maggie O'Farrell, who writes Hamnet and The Marriage Portrait, helped to get it re-released because she's like basically a scholar of Elspeth Barker, um, which is really cool. She did the introduction to this book, which I actually really, really liked the introduction. It's one of those things that if you are like studying literature and you want to see how writers talk about other writers, it's definitely something that you would want to check out. But for this book in general, let's get into it. I did only give it a 5.5 for readability. I had a decent time reading this book like nothing it didn't feel like a drag to read it at all I wasn't like oh I don't want to finish it but it wasn't super exciting all of that being like super exciting to read I'll rephrase that because the plot doesn't always need to be exciting for the book to be exciting to read the book wasn't super exciting to read that being said is that a characteristic of goth some gothic fiction? I'm not sure. There is sort of this like stagnant feeling to gothic fiction that I think sometimes works really well. And in this book, I think it was working well. Just for me right now, I wasn't like, oh my God, I couldn't put this book down. Like I was just like, I read the book because I read it, you know? One thing I will say before I get into anything more, like talking about like, oh, is this sort of quiet sort of lack of plot a characteristic of gothic fiction I actually don't think it is because I have found in other gothic works that I've read those books be crazy so my favorite work of gothic fiction that I think I've read is The Woman in Black by Susan Hill which was also written in the 20th century so it was written obviously much later than gothic fiction actually started but it is very much a gothic novel. And that book is fucking nuts. It was one of the scariest books I read last year. I think it almost made it into my top 10. Um, just because it was so freaky deaky. And I feel that way about, you know, on, um, We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Beloved by Toni Morrison. Um, Marissa already mentioned Fall of the House of Usher, which is my favorite Poe. 
those are all very like there's a lot happening there and the plot is really kooky crazy so I do think that that's not necessarily a characteristic of gothic that it needs to be like sort of chilled out spooky vibes I do think Elspeth Barker I'll get it I'll talk about this later let me let me pause on that for language and style I gave this book an 8.5 I thought her writing was gorgeous I remember Maggie O'Farrell saying something in the introduction about how whenever Elspeth Barker passed this book along to the editor there was no edits that had to be made which is literally like unheard of um this woman was truly a, a, a talent um a literary talent in terms of her writing it's just absolutely gorgeous and this book takes place in Scotland and I think it really was the a seaside town in Scotland and it really was that like foggy dark Scottish seaside imagery that were some of the best parts of the book and her best writing moments I'm gonna skip form because this was a very straightforward form for shelf worthiness, I gave this book a five. I think it is like an interesting read. So I would say if you have access to it, you might as well pick it up. I don't necessarily think it's something you need to need to have. Like you could definitely just get it from the library or borrow it. I'm actually probably going to hang on to it because I do love the writing style so much. And I think if you're a writer, you might want to reference that. But otherwise, it's something that if you were at all interested, you could very easily just not spend money on this one for plot this is what I wanted to talk about so the book starts with a death it is the death of a 16 year old girl named Janet you think you would think that would be the plot of the book then figuring out what happened to Janet that's not the plot at all and I think it's interesting because we were just talking about how like gothic fiction is often the past and the present mixing together. This book may start with Dan Janet's death, but the entirety of the rest of the book is just a recounting of her life. A rather than a murder mystery, which I think is really like almost flipping that concept of gothic on its head in a way, which I think is really cool. And I did like that. And this girl had like quite a tragic not necessarily tragic life but like her whole family like hated her and so that's a lot of what you're seeing in the plot I will say too so many just fucking bizarre things happen in this book which is what made me like want to start talking about that with Marissa in the first place one of the main like recurring details of this book is birds and there's a lot of bird imagery a lot of bird imagery and it's fucking creepy but the weirdest part is this reoccurring theme of like birds that talk but not birds that are magic birds that are the kind of birds that talk so like cockatiels or whatever they're called and parrots um yeah but like weird talking birds and like it, there's like a bird and it's like a hundred something years old and like birds have been in this family for like a very long time and there's this one scene where the grandpa is talking about how he wishes he could fill a room with birds so that they could just like talk to each other like have a dinner party and the other thing that really fucking freaked me out about it was the one bird is so old that it uses like a scottish dialect that is no longer in use 
and I was like, ew, like, I was like, oh, I hate that. Like, I hate it in a good way. But that definitely scared me a little. Like, I was like, girl, what? Um, so I gave the plot only a six, but I did think there was like a lot of really weird, cool stuff happening. Um, even if it wasn't the most exciting plot ever. And then last but not least, oh, also, obviously the talking bird makes you think of the raven. So, and the cover of the book is a raven. So I think we can, it's safe to assume that that was a call out, a sort of humorous call out to Edgar Allan Poe. Um, last but not least, characterization. I gave it a 5.5. I This book is really short, okay? It's 150 pages. And... I think it does what it needed to do with the characters. And that's what we really say will be a 5.5. It'll be, you know, good characters, believable characters, and the characters were carried throughout. There was nothing to write home about characterization-wise, but they were where they were. And that's how sort of how I ended up feeling about the book in its entirety, other than the writing obviously getting a really high score and some of those weird details getting, you know, getting my respect if you will but yeah that's O Caledonia by Elspeth Barker I kind of love the the bit about the talking birds because when I was younger my pops had a room full of birds and like me and my sister had ones picked out that we were like these are going to be our birds one day and like like I I always wanted to like play with them and feed them but they like were not really birds that you could let out um but I kind of like that it reminds me of my childhood in like a weird way in like his house always smelled like bird peanuts bird peanuts yeah um, what is it with old people and birds? Because my grandma had two parakeets and they murdered each other. You know, I don't know. I think that was that was a a moment in time, and I think that you know people have moved past that. My grandpa also before I was born, when my mom, so my grandma had the parakeets when I was little, but my grandpa had um a bird when he when my mom was little, and its name was Tippy. And my grandpa smoked a lot of cigars, um, and he used to, like, blow smoke at the little um, bird as, like, a joke. Oh, Tippy. And I think that's why they called it Tippy, because I think he would, like, pass out from the smoke. (laughs) My God, Tippy. Someone take birds away from old people. It's, It's probably for the best at this point. I hate birds. Would you call the birds movie gothic? Maybe like a suburban, no, it's not, it's not even really suburban. Maybe like a small town, um, small town gothic, like small town 60s gothic, 50s gothic type thing. Yeah. So I read What Moves the Dead by, uh, T. King Fisher, also known as Ursula Vernon. And boy, do we have things to say about it. Um, I actually really, to start off, I loved it. Um, So it was a retelling of the fall of the House of Usher. 
and it was just so dang good. It was just real good. I like so because it is set in that time period. I I went into it being like I'm not gonna like this. I usually don't really like old fashioned type sets and old fashioned type writing. Um, it gets really sticky for me. Like it's almost like it. Like my I I'm more likely to zone out for writing like that. But I didn't with this book, and I'm gonna explain why in a minute. So. Pretty much, I'm. It's it follows this pretty much the same premise as the fall of the House of Usher. It's a little bit tweaked, but in case you don't know, in case you've never read it, I'll explain. Um, but I'm gonna explain like what my book is about. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense to me. So pretty much, our main character, Alex, is moving along down to see an old friend, the Usher family. And the sister is sickly. The brother thinks she's going to die. Everyone is unsure. And it seems as though something is very wrong with the house, the Usher estate, this big, beautiful gothic castle-like house um so that's the short version um and i'm going to spoil it a little bit but i will tell you before i spoil it so that you can jump ahead a little bit so um oh also i should mention this this book just came out in July of 2020. So it's very new. And also in the author's note, she says um, that she started writing this book and then she read she read Mexican Gothic and was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And it's doing pretty much what I want to do. I'm stupid. Like, why am I writing my book when this is already so good? But she said, like, she's like, but just listen to that that phrase that all authors use, which I've literally never heard used before, which is just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it because no one's done it like you. Which I like that, but I've never heard that before. <laughs> but very cool. Um, oh, also, I'm absolutely obsessed with the cover. There's also like really beautiful illustrations um, on the inside cover, which I was also obsessed with. Very creepy. Um, so yeah. So for readability and interest, I gave this a seven. Again, I started this off and I was like, oh no, I don't like this. But then once I got into it, I literally read like a hundred pages and it, the book's only about 160 pages. So I read it very fast. Um and, and really liked it. It's like once you got into it, then it was like playing on your head and you were trying to kind of piece together this mystery because it is a little bit of a mystery, but it's also creepy. Um, for language and style, I gave it an eight. So like I said before, I thought I wasn't going to be interested in it, but 
teaching Fisher does this really interesting thing where I feel like old style writing, let's just say gothic style writing for the purpose of our conversation, feels very professional. And you're it almost to me, it always feels like removed in some weird way. Um, and you know, that could be because a lot of gothic fiction now that I'm thinking about it feels like someone is telling a story that already happened and this book also does that there is something like it feels like someone uh, this the the main character is telling you a story that has already happened but uh teen king fisher does this interesting thing where she'll also have the author the not the author the main character talk to you directly during the book and like say asides and <laughs> just funny things um and I felt like it made it feel more personal, personable. Yeah, it made it feel more personable and it made it feel less serious, which I really appreciated and needed. Um, for form, I'm going to omit form because nothing silly, goofy, crazy was happening. For shelf worthy, read again, I was, I gave it a seven. I actually really liked um, a lot of things in it and I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the piecing of everything coming together. I did think it was really creepy the more you thought about it, which I'm going to get into probably in plot. Yeah, and I just really... I think I think I would read it again as a writer. There are definitely certain pieces of imagery that I want to pick up and think about. So yeah, so I'm... I'm yeah, I'm probably going to read this again, and I'm definitely going to keep it on my shelf. Like, I'm obsessed with the cover just to begin with. And it's not really a big book. It's something that you can keep on your shelf and it's tiny. And I mean, I have the hardcover. So just think what the, the paperback's going to be like when it comes out. Small, tiny, easy to keep on your shelf. But I, I also think that if you wanted to get this one from the library, that would not be terrible. So, so I think next what I'm going to do is talk about characterization first and then talk about plot because I'm going to spoil the plot a little bit. So for characterization, I gave it an 8. Like I said, the main character is something that actually really kept me invested and kept me reading the book. I just thought that they were so fun. And actually, so there's also this fun thing that T. King Fisher's doing where the pronouns in this book are different. Our main character is non-binary, but the pronouns that that are used have nothing to do with gender so apparently where alex is from i'm just gonna read this little part as i mentioned before galatia's language is idiosyncratic most languages you encounter in europe have words like he and she and his and hers ours has those too although we use ta and tha and tan and than but we also have va and var Ka and Khan, and a few others specifically for rocks and gods. So it then goes on to explain that Va and Van are what children use before puberty, and also priests and nuns, although they're Var instead of Van. And then it also says that when you're a warrior, you get to use Ka and Khan instead of Ta and Tan. So 
Alex was a soldier and therefore they use Ka and Khan. So like it was a little bit like when I was reading the book at times I did get like there was like one specific part where it this is just me being silly but it said kin as in like kin like your kin and for a minute I was like wait a minute why is there a pronoun there and I got really confused but it wasn't it wasn't the pronoun it was just me being silly but so yeah because Alex is a soldier it's Ka and Khan, which can get very confusing in the brain because it's you're essentially speaking a different language, I guess. But I thought that that was really interesting to do, especially to um, such an old work like Edgar Allan Poe's. Like, what if we could rewrite old white men's work? And, like, make it non-binary and make it gay and make it, you know what I mean? More, like, make it inclusionary in, in different ways. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, loved that. And then I'm going to go into plot. So, also I'll say... The relationships that Alex has with other characters are lovely. There's not one person that I feel like was expendable in this book at all. I thought that they were all, like, actually really cool. Um, and there was no one that I really hated. I thought everyone was interesting. Everyone felt like their own character. And they had they added purpose to the plot they helped move the plot along in in a way that made sense so then for plot i'm gonna tell you i I gave it a seven okay and now i'm gonna spoil it so if you don't want to hear why i'm spoiling it skip ahead so the the imagery is really what boosted the plot up for me i thought it was very interesting how like the the descriptions of the rabbits moving they're like rabbits around the estate and they like move almost as if they don't know how to walk um they'll take like two steps and pause they're very like slow moving staggering um t king fisher says in one part that the way that the rabbit was crawling reminded the main character alex almost like um a disembodied hand so a hand just like moving without an arm or like fingers that were cut off and i don't know why i was just like what a what an insane description what an like i just loved that and so you do find out what's causing the illness is of course fungi spores all that fun stuff and so um and it's it can control people and so the girl whose name i can't remember right now um there's a part where okay well actually first of all this part was really cool and i really liked it um they wanted to find out if there were mold spores or whatever in front inside of 
um the girl who died whose friggin' name i can't remember it's driving me wild what was her name hold on madeline her name is madeline um so they wanted to find out if maddie was sick from mold and spores and fungus but they obviously didn't want to cut her open so they got one of the weird hairs because she was acting just like the rabbits and they cut it open and they're like dissecting it and they cut into its lungs and as soon as they opened its lungs it like popped open and just like it was like full of like stuffing because it was full of the the mold it had like ate away at its lungs and it had become like its lungs literally so insane so good i loved it um and yeah i love that and then there was a part where this and obviously like the rabbit was dead but the fungus had taken over its body and was walking and talking and making it do all that not talking to the rabbit but you know making it do rabbit things kind of but in a weird way and okay, so also there's another part where Maddie is sitting on the bed. She's already dead, but the fungus has taken over her and she's trying to talk to them, but she's like coughing up like like wispy, like fuzz chunks. And it's like growing from her nail beds and like the corners of her mouth. It's like coming out. It's like everywhere. And just that image of just, like, a very skinny, sickly-looking girl. She's, like, pale white, but she's got, like, white fuzz literally coming off of, like, every crevice. You can think her hair is white. It's, it's not even no longer her hair. There's, like, mold spores, like, growing from her hair follicles. It's just, it was insane. And, like, reading that, I was like, this is so beautiful and so good. And the, the like weird imagery of the fuzz coming out of her nail beds is going to haunt me for the rest of my life in just the right way. And I love it. Um, and, and honestly, I was really happy that I stuck it out with this book that I so I can get to those parts because they were just so good to me and I really loved them. Um, so, yeah, that's why the plot got a seven. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was great. Let me look at my notes to make sure I said everything I wanted to say yeah um yeah it was amazing and that's what i have to say about that um so reminds me of it because of the spores are, are you tuning into hbo's the last of us i haven't because i watched the game be played and the main character from the you know anything about the game, Liza? Vaguely. So, Elliot Page was the model for the... For the little girl. Yes. Yeah. And then later, like, there's a part two. So, also the adult. Yeah. But, um, and I don't think the little girl... The little girl on the show seems so like timid and is it isn't her name ellie yeah her name is okay ellie. ellie in the game is just so badass that i i can't see this little girl like living up to that and so i'm so hesitant 
she is a badass. Okay, so, okay, that's good. She's a tough cookie in the show. Um, but it reminded me of it because obviously whatever causes this apocalyptic zombie-like thing is spores um, in The Last of Us. But for everybody listening who hasn't watched it yet and for Marissa, I shit you not, the first episode is the scariest thing I can I have seen in recent memory. Love it that. It's so scary, disturbing, upsetting, but like so good, but I was thoroughly like horrified, which usually when I watch horror movies or horror TV shows, I'm not like absolutely fucking terrified. But for this show I was. Mm, okay that's exciting to me but i truly believe that if a zombie apocalypse is going to happen i think that that's how it's gonna happen the way they explain it in the first scene of the show is so realistic that i'm like oh my god this is gonna happen Mm -hmm. i'm like oh my god and so that's why when you were mentioning like what moves the dead like i'm like no because that could happen like like that makes perfect sense. They're already doing it to ants and hornets. Yeah, that's where they mention it with the mm-hmm. ants and the, in the TV show. It's one of my favorite obsessions to think about what else the fungus can do. I'll also say, I forgot to mention this, because when I was reading the part about the pronouns, they talk about, I think it's va and van for children. So when uh, deceased but fungus-controlled Maddie is talking about it, it being the fungus, she's referring it to Va and Van. So, like, she's referring to it as a child. And she's like, it doesn't know that it's hurting. It doesn't understand that humans feel pain because it doesn't feel pain. But she's saying, like, Va, like, Va doesn't understand. It's, like, weird. It is so creepy. I gotta read this. Just the way that the pronouns were, like, actually also like very relevant to the story like they tied it in like that i was like "Ooh, that's wild i gotta read that oh what fun what fun yeah mold scary fungus scary zombie apocalypse scary scary no likey Mm -mm. but also love because it's fun to read about yes hey hey what are we doing next week next week um we're celebrating a not holiday that is a holiday um so we're gonna be celebrating groundhog's day and we're gonna celebrate that with a winter slash darkness themed episode because because does he ever not friggin' see his shadow? I know. I was gonna say, like, do you think it's gonna be six more weeks of winter or do you think it's gonna be spring is coming early? It's gonna be six more weeks of winter. It's gonna be six more weeks of winter. Come on. Um, stupid Punxsutawney Phil. B F F R Punxsutawney Phil. Wait, but didn't Punxsutawney Phil die? Oh. Oh no, the other one died. Oh. There's a there's another one. Punxsutawney Phil and 
I can't keep these motherfuckers straight. There's another groundhog, and he right. died. One of them definitely is dead. But Ponsatani Phil lives, and he's going to tell us that there's going to be more winter. So we're both reading wintry darkness books. What are you going to read? I should have read. I have a book that's a, a mystery thriller called The Shadow Man. Ooh. I should have read that, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm reading Road of Bones by Christopher Golden. Fun. And I am reading Ethan From by Edith Wharton. Yay! Spooky books, spooky scary books about the cold and the darkness and the winter. Scary? Very scary. We're little spooky girls. We, we never know not how to be spooky, you know? Do you ever see, do you know that episode of, um, Never mind. Okay. I don't know the show, so. It's all right. I'll think of it later and text it to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But, um, so yeah, that was it on our first official episode back. Woo! Um, where we talked about books this time, but just singular books each. And happy birthday, Edgar Allan Poe. Happy birthday, Mac Miller. And happy gothic horror celebration episode. See you guys next week. Bye.